Welcome to Sweet Talk. This broadcast is brought to you by the Continuing Education Workforce Training Division of Idaho State University's College of Technology. This podcast is part of our continuing outreach efforts and the format is conversational. We will be having conversations with businesses, professionals, entrepreneurs, community agencies, and in all cases, difference makers. Now, let's get started with Sweet Talk. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Batalden, the Assistant Director here at Continuing Education Workforce Training. And thank you for uh, joining us today for Sweet Talk. And uh, today, Paul and Gary and uh, Scott, but we'll introduce our guest here in a minute. But today's kind of a special episode, actually. Um, this is our final episode for season two. Woo! Two seasons! Yeah. Two seasons of podcasts. I tell you what, we've caused some damage in the last two years and have managed to get away with it. So we're pretty proud of that. Um, and the exciting thing about that, Paul, is that with uh, final, with our final episode of season two, what that we're implying is that we're coming back with season three. I don't think we could ever stop doing this. Um, I mean, uh, initially when we started this, you know, Gary was very hesitant, but I don't think he'd ever let us give it up now. <laughs> no, I hope not. I hope not. We've got it down to a science now, Gary. We hardly waste any time at all now. Yeah, that's right. Except that middle part between the, the welcome and the goodbye is a tire waste of time. But boy, everything else we got down pretty good. That's for sure. Hey, uh, this is a special episode. Uh, we have a special guest today. And, and Gary, uh, we, just to let everyone know, we got Paul Dickey here and Gary Salazar, our director. And Paul is our apprenticeship uh, program coordinator, as well as our video instructor, which means that all things technology that he is, uh, or video and audio technology, uh, Paul's the expert on. But uh, so, Gary, please, uh, I'll kind of hand it over to you and kick it off and introduce our guest. And uh, let's get our show rolling today. And so you get to say the magic words, Gary. Okay. Like, uh, everybody, welcome to our sweet podcast. Are those the magic words you're at? That's, that's right. That's right. Okay. They are said, put forth. Thank you, Scott Rasmussen. Everybody, we're really excited to uh, welcome to the podcast our dean. Dean Scott Rasmussen, who uh, is the Dean of the College of Technology here at Idaho State University. And he's been uh, uh, very gracious in saying he'd come on board. He, he's cautioned me already that I have to stay within some bounds, otherwise he'll remember. So uh, <laughs> I will try to stay in the middle part of the road and let the other guys uh, pull us in and out. Scott, welcome to Sweet Talk. We're glad to have you on board. Uh, by way of uh, intro, there's not going to be much to this because I think we're going to get into some of it in our discussion. But um, you are currently uh, looking forward to a retirement after, I think, 28 years here at Idaho State University. And you're finishing up as our dean. And uh, I think that is just a tremendous, tremendous uh, tribute to you uh, for having been here for that long with any organization. Um it has to begin somewhere, so I'd like to begin at that beginning. Yet, uh, before I before I go there, uh, I just want to say I've had the pleasure of knowing you for the last four years. Um, I got to know you uh, when I came to apply for this position, and um, I'm very, uh, very grateful for having that opportunity and getting to know you a little bit more. So thank you for that. Now, back down to the meat of this thing. 28 years, you had to start somewhere. You didn't just come in and be the dean. 
you came on board as an instructor, I think. Is that right? Yes. And, and what you came as a instructor for what? Well, you know, if I could, if I could go back just even a little bit farther, uh, oh, please. In, uh, I guess it was the spring of uh, of nineteen seventy six. Um, I went to Salt Lake City to thinking I wanted to be a, a neurosurgeon. Believe it or not. Uh, I mean, look at these hands. hands. Those are neurosurgeon hands, aren't they? they That's great. I went down thinking I could get into University of Utah and quickly learned as a a farm boy from Preston, Idaho, that uh, I could not afford out-of-state tuition. So a friend of mine and I... uh, was also interested in getting into the University of Utah decided we'd go out to Utah Technical College because we heard that if you took a quarter at the Technical College and uh, got a Utah driver's license then you know after six months or so you can get residency and then tuition would be much cheaper so there you go we went out there and and I, I looked at all of the courses being offered and I thought well I'm kind of a geek, you know, electronics sounds kind of fun. Maybe I'll give that a try because take a semester of that, you can always use it somewhere in your life. So uh, we both started in electronics in January of 76. And about mid-February, our instructor walked up and said, hey, what in the world are you, you two Preston boys doing down here in Salt Lake? Don't you know you've got the best electronics school in the nation right there at ISU? Oh, wow. Really? And wow. we said, no, but we'll check into it. <laughs> so uh, we made a few phone calls, drove up to, to ISU, interviewed, and they said, well, if you'd like to start next week, you can. So we drove back to Salt Lake, got out of our apartment lease, packed up our stuff, moved to Pocatello, and uh, I actually graduated from what is now our robotics and electronic or robotics and communication systems engineering technology. Back in my day, it was much simpler. It was electronic systems technology. <laughs> it's actually a 78 year old electronics program and uh, has, uh, you know, really high merits across the nation. Our graduates go all over, but to make a long story short, I started there and got a degree in electronics, went to work for Union Pacific Railroad and uh, worked there as a, as a microwave technician. Loved it. Loved, uh, you know, hopping onto a snowcat at two o'clock in the morning in the middle of a blinding <laughs> blizzard, <laughs> driving to Kemmer, Wyoming and going up the mountaintop, you know, and fixing the, the repeater. And it was a fun life. Um, but in 1992, I had an opportunity to come to ISU and teach, and that's that's when this whole thing began 28 years ago. So I have the College of Technology in my blood, clear back from from the early 70s when uh, you know it it gave me something that you know brought brought a great great career to my family and you know let us uh, enjoy life and. I'm 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 still the same geek at heart. I you know I'd be I'd be happy up there at the top of the mountain working on microwave today. 
I don't know how how I ended up here. But, uh, <laughs> here we are, and, and that just goes to show that you know you just never know. So that's right, neurosurgeon wannabe to to a dean. My gosh, what what a what a challenging career path that was. Awesome. So you came in as an instructor at ISU. That was your first position. Is that right? Yeah, I actually came in um, into the electronics program as a first-year instructor, and I taught uh, first year for about three years. And then the gentleman who was te- who had actually taught me radio frequency, which is my first love, RF, we call it real fun. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so he decided he was going to retire. And so they actually made me interview with a group of my peers for that that position. And and, uh, I was named uh, the new RF instructor. And I'm telling you, that was something because those guys that had been teaching that for years were like the gods of radio frequency. (laughs) So... uh, Oh my gosh! Did you know anything about teaching at that point? I mean, he hadn't gone through a college of teaching. You were going from your experience, right? Yes, I'd never, I'd never done any official teaching at uh, university or school or anything. So, how was that first year? I did uh, well. You know what actually, what actually brought me from the railroad to teaching was the fact that I, I'd kind of fallen in love with. Uh, programming and I had actually written a a dental management practice piece of software for my dentist and he really he was really liking it and I thought I'd love to market this and make some money and but I was I was out of town a lot with the railroad because I was I was maintaining all the microwave from Butte Montana to Kemmer Wyoming oh wow so uh the only way I was going to be able to market that software, of course, was to to leave the railroad. And so that's why I came to teach in 92. And I haven't written a line of code since. <laughs> <laughs> Not a line of code. What was, what was that, Fortran? I mean, back in the 70s, that's when computer programming was just really getting started, wasn't it? Yes, you know, when I went through, I actually took courses in Fortran and uh, COBOL and all of that early language stuff. We used to, we used to take a stack of punch cards down. Yeah, <laughs> don't drop those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two hours later, they'd bring us out a, a printout on a decorator printer, you know, that was huge. And yeah, but I, I actually wrote the software into something that was brand new at the time. It was called. Uh, DBase. It was a, a big database management system that sort of was before its time and uh, had a lot of fun with that. But uh, I'm telling you, to teach something that you think you know is way different than you can imagine when you get up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So your first year was was not only, you know, trying to convert your knowledge of electronics into a curriculum. You had to get up and, and teach that stuff to other people. And, and students had to learn that. So you, you had a lot of challenges with that. Um, that that's, that's amazing that you can come and walk in there, get into a classroom and start teaching. And, but I, I'm, I'm guessing the passion that you had for that is what carried through with a lot of those students too. 
they wanted to be there. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the beauties of the College of Technology is that, that we hire faculty who've been out there and done it. You know, they've been there. They've, they, they know the tips and tricks, so to speak. And uh, they can provide so much more understanding and so much more excitement about the, the field they're teaching just because they've actually been out and done it, you know, and, and you can't get that from a textbook. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. How long were you doing doing the instructorship before you uh, moved towards the chair position? Well, I taught for eight years. Uh, and at that point in time, they had named an interim department chair who served for a couple of years and then retired. So the position was open. And uh, I had found that I was spending a lot of my summers anyway down working in the lab and I don't know what got into my head, but I thought, I thought this thought, you know, if I'm working year round, I might as well get paid year round. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the beginning of the demise, right? <laughs> that was the beginning of the end. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it always comes down to money. So right. you, did, you, did you have to go through another uh, process of being interviewed for, for being a chair then as well? You had to compete for that? I did. I interviewed it for department chair, uh, and unlike other colleges in the university, uh, at the College of Technology, department chair positions are purely an administrative position. Uh, they did let me teach one, one class for a few years, but um, yeah, it was it was a it was a position I had to apply for, interview for, and um, became the department chair. I think in uh, two thousand. And it was relatively new, a new position for our department. We had, I think, six electronics programs at the time. And uh, we'd actually been underneath uh, a different department up until that point in time when, when my predecessor took over for a couple of years as the interim chair. And then I was named chair, and we've had one ever since. So, My gosh, you brought up an interesting point about point. what those do. So you had another transition challenge there because you've been an instructor now for eight some years. Now you're converting over to be a chair, which is more of an administrative position. You had to learn that from the ground up also, didn't you? What were your yeah, challenges there? That was a very unique and interesting challenge. Because, <laughs> you know, you remember the old biblical quote, um, a prophet is without honor in his own land. Yeah. When you're coming, when you've come up through the ranks, and suddenly you're named, you know, the boss of, of those people, it's a, it's an interesting challenge, and one that I, one that I found quite uh, invigorating, actually, because the electronics department um, was fairly unknown, you know, throughout the college at the time, and you know, it was sort of my goal in the beginning to to raise uh, the the level of, of of how people saw the electronics department and, and really get people to to get to know other other people in the college and we we did a lot of things to really instigate this whole idea of, of working together and uh, intercollegiate interprogram uh, opportunities and so I, I really saw that as a fun challenge and that kind of got my blood flowing and helped me through those days when you know some of my my former peers would look at me and say, you may have that 
name and title, but it's only in name, dude. You've got to earn <laughs> <memories> of it. <laughs> so it, it was fun. Oh, Scott, while you were doing all that, did you ever look back at the railroad, the Union Pacific Railroad job or back to, hey, I wish I was still at Utah in Utah going towards some other place? I mean, you've taken off on a pretty good career trajectory at that point. But did you ever look back and go, I still wish I could do some of that? Or were you set? I mean, it sounds like you were beginning to create some vision for the road ahead. Every May, when I saw all those faculty walk out the door and go home for the summer. I thought I have made a giant mistake. <laughs> June and July and August, the three top reasons to be a teacher, right? <laughs> I actually missed the, the freedom of uh, my job at Union Pacific because, you know, to, to hop in a truck and head off to Montana in the, in the springtime when everything's green and beautiful and be up there in the tops of the mountains with the deer and elk. And I mean, that was, that was, uh, one of those things that I missed a great deal also, but there was always something in me that, uh, made me restless after a couple of years or something. I had to go for something new and exciting. And so I, you know, I, I may have looked back on, you know, with some longing to those, previous positions but I was I was pretty excited about what I was doing and it's uh it, you know it's it's really been invigorating and fun over the years yeah yeah was it when did when did the Estic phenomena happen that you were so much a part of was that when you were a chair I was and uh interestingly enough at that point in time there were uh electronics, very highly uh, touted electronics programs across the nation that were closing because of low enrollment. It, it, at that point in time, the, the up and coming generation just didn't have any idea of what an industrial electronics person does. You know, it was a, it was the, the advent of the cell phone, the throwaway world, you know, you buy something, when it breaks, you throw it away, you don't fix it. And so kids growing up at that point in time just really didn't have a lot of interest in, in electronics. And so we even saw it at the College of Technology. Enrollment was declining. So we were actually looking for, you know, where do we go from here? How do we, how do we encourage students into this program? And uh, a very interesting thing happened. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Lawrence Beattie, uh, who's probably one of the most intelligent individuals I've ever known, had gone to work for us. Uh, and then another gentleman by the name of Richard Holman, who was uh, uh, held a position at the Idaho National Lab, he walked in our front door one day and, and said to the receptionist, he said, you know, I'm, I'm looking for someone who might be interested in an idea I have to procure about $1.6 million in grant funds from the U.S. Department of Labor. And when they listened to him, they, they thought, well, that sounds like something that electronics might be interested in. So they sent him over to talk to me. And uh, that was the beginning. We sat down and talked about the fact that we were headed into a world where electronics technicians were going to be in high demand in uh, 
nuclear operations across the country. And so um, nobody was teaching it. And uh, he had he had some great ideas. Lawrence Beatty, this gentleman who had just come to work for us, was an ex-Navy nuke. So he knew all about the nuclear field and electronics. And, you know, the stars really, the, actually the stars just aligned. We partnered with uh, Jessica Sotelo, who was the then the uh, the head of uh, Partners for Prosperity, which was a an outreach group uh, out of Blackfoot, because we knew we needed to prime the pipeline and bring you know a lot of folks into the program. And so this became uh, an idea that, that that turned out to be a public-private partnership between those three entities, ISU. INL and Partners for Prosperity. And we sat around a little, we called it the war room, sat around a little table in Blackfoot at Jess's place. And uh, we spent about three months writing that grant, hmm. 10 or 12, 15 hours a day. Um, and we, we uh, sent that grant away. Richard Holman and I fl actually flew out to D.C. and visited with some folks from the U.S. Department of Labor and kind of got an idea of what they were looking for. They really liked our ideas, asked us to submit a proposal. So we went home, we wrote it, we submitted it. Shortly after submission of that, we heard that the National Science Foundation had a, a request for proposals out for something that sounded really close to what our what we'd been preparing. So we thought, well, let's submit to them as well. So we we rewrote the proposal a little bit to fit their needs and flew out to DC and kind of hobnobbed with the National Science Foundation folks. They actually read our grant and the, the program person said, you know, we think we really love your idea, but what you're saying in this paper you got to rewrite. You got to tell us exactly what you're going to do and what you're going to do with our money to make it happen. So we came home, rewrote it, submitted it, hoping we'd get one of those two grants. And lo and behold, within about two weeks of each other, we, we got noticed that we had received both grants for a total of about 2.6 million. Pretty cool. Nice. So Pretty that cool. was the beginning. So for, you got the money for that. Then, uh, then you had to start somewhere with building the vision of Estec and, and come, making that come about. So you hire people, more equipment. I mean, there's a period of time when you were starting it. You were developing it. You're putting blocks on top of blocks. What was that like? Was it, You were still a chair during that period, right? Well, when we got the grant... Um, I was one of the co-PIs along with Richard and Jess and uh, Lawrence. And interestingly enough, the, uh, the grant proposal, we had named a, a location on campus, which they were going to close, which was the, the cafeteria over in the dorm. And uh, during the process of writing the grant and getting approvals and everything, ISU made a decision they were going to keep that area open as a cafeteria. So when we actually got the grant, we had no home. We had no space. <laughs> and so uh, it became very difficult to try to figure out where we were going to build this phenomenal lab with the vision of 
Lawrence Beatty and Richard Holman, maybe nukes that really knew how to do this nuclear training. And we looked at probably six or eight places across ISU's campus, and none of them really had what they call slab on grade, where we could put heavy equipment and things like that. So in the end, we, we applied enough pressure on ISU that they finally said, look, if you if you want to move forward, we're going to have to just move programs out of the building that Aztec now is in and rebuild that building from scratch. So um, we actually tore everything out. You could walk, you could stand at the front door of, of the Aztec building and you could look and see right out the back window. I mean, everything was <laughs> got it. That's cool. So, so what you see there now is, you know, is, is actually the culmination of the vision of these guys that really knew what they were doing. And I'll just be quite honest. I was, uh, I was just lucky enough to be along for the ride because those guys had uh, amazing vision and understanding. And the only, the only purpose I served really was to pull them off the 50,000 foot level down to something that we could actually accomplish. There you go. Right. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it takes. Wow. Wow. That was a what, big ride. What, what a great a great project you've been a part of. And, and look what's happened to Aztec now with the, the national recognition, the reach, and the people who are coming out of there. What a cool, cool project to have seen. And, and it's not stopped. It's just keeping on growing. Okay, but, but you have never stopped being a fan of Aztec when you became – the dean, right? I mean, it's it's still part of you. That's the electronics you started with. That's grown, but you made another transition. Uh, why would you leave such a great project like Estec and then go? I want to become dean. What what prompted that? Well, Estec had grown immensely um, in those six or so early years. I was the executive director, and Lawrence Beatty was the person writing the curriculum and doing all of that. Richard Holman was the individual out there working with the Idaho National Lab and other companies across the, the nation. And uh, our, our current dean at the time uh, had some health issues and needed to take some time off. And they, they looked everywhere where they, they could think of to find somebody to serve as a acting dean. They couldn't find anybody, so they said, well, Scott, would you mind doing it? <laughs> so I got to spend about six months, probably about a semester, as what they called at the time, acting dean. So that's when I learned how to act like a dean. Uh, that must have been a challenge. Another another different uh, challenge for you, because now instead of working with, uh, with electronics experts, now you're working with the other deans around the university, you're working with the administration, another learning process, another growth process for you as the interim dean. I mean, did you ever feel like that was too much or were you, were you excited to be there? I mean, how did that play in, in your mind? Were you ready to go back to Union Pacific at that point? How was it? Every day I felt like it was too <laughs> Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I, I was acting dean for about six months, and then they named me interim dean. So I, I was actually the interim dean for about a year. And then uh, the president called me in one day and said, look, we need to, we need to make a decision. Either we're going to do a national search 
or we're going to name you Dean. Are you interested? And uh, I'd actually just interviewed for a position at uh, iTech in Idaho Falls and been offered a position up there as a vice president. And so when our president at ISU called me in, I was able to say, well, you know, I've got a pretty good offer up there. And he said, well, we, we're interested in keeping you, but I need to know how your faculty feel about it. So they actually, he actually called a meeting. I'll never forget this. He called a meeting for all the faculty, kind of like we do now for our all school meeting. And he, he got everybody in there, dismissed me from the room <laughs> and, and asked everybody how they would feel if they, if they named, if he named me the Dean. So I, I guess there was quite a bit of discussion but it turned out in my favor and they did name me Dean. And so that's how it all, all began in this position that I'm in now. My God, I didn't know that, that that's extraordinary. I mean, to bring everybody together like that. Well, I don't have a PhD. I have a, I have a master's degree, which I both, both my baccalaureate degree and my master's degree I earned after I went to work for union Pacific, I came, came back and continued my education. So, uh, there was there was a lot of, of uh, a, a lot of folks who felt that you know not having a PhD might be against something against the college in terms of me being able to rub shoulders with a bunch of PhD deans and make things happen. And so I had some of that to overcome. The thing I think I did have going for me though was uh, a pretty good track record with Aztec, and I, and I had developed pretty good relationships across the college. I love the people in the college there. You won't find better people anywhere at the university than in the college of tech. And they're, they're all there because they want to be there and they want to give back and they want, they, you know, they love students. They want to see students succeed. And so um, I felt like my industry experience in a college of technology was was more vital, really, than a PhD, and uh, I think that's proven to be true over the years. It certainly seems so, and it seems like that that success has multiplied or leveraged every time you go to another step. And certainly, the relationships that you build, the ability to get along with people—that's uh, a part of you, Scott—is has been. Uh, has been, you know, a key to one of your, one of your many successes. Hey, we're running a little bit short on time, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on. I think uh, was a really huge part of of your, your achievements, and that's the Ames Complex. Um, that uh, congratulations, by the way, on on the recent groundbreaking uh, of the Ames uh, Complex. What a, what another wonderful. Um, accomplishment for you to have have seen to envisioned you know and then uh, in itself it must have had a thousand challenges that you've had to work through to get to that groundbreaking so congratulations on that but i mean where did that vision initially come from for that magnificent building that's up on the hill well that vision came from uh an opportunity that once again, the president and the provost gave me to, uh, to have, have a look at some space that was coming available in what was then the RISE facility. Um, a number of researchers had just left the building. There was, you know, there was quite a bit of uh, 
of high base space available. And uh, that was just perfect for the types of programs we've moved in there. Our auto, auto mechanics programs, our auto collision repair, and our diesel and on-site power programs were all in facilities that were subpar. They were all over town. There was no synergy. Uh, we, were, we were hearing from our national accreditors that we were in the top five in the nation in those programs, and yet they would always end by saying, your, your facility is not mom-friendly. And so that, that was kind of the vision of how we began. And then we, we got thinking, you know, what, what types of programs would, would fit together nicely and be synergistic in terms of really helping students to have real-world application opportunities. And, and that's when we thought, well, let's, let's move our advanced manufacturing programs up there. So that was the beginning of, of moving CAD and welding and machining and those, those kinds of programs in. So... Uh, at the time, we had a development officer, Melissa Moon, who uh, I just can't say enough good things about Melissa. She had developed relationships over the years with a number of, of great donors, one of which we all know was, was Bill Ames. And uh, he wrote out a check for $2.5 million, which began the whole renovation process. Uh, you know, since then, we've raised primarily Melissa uh, with, with all of the, the village helping her has, you know, has raised closer to seven and a half million dollars now towards the Eames complex. So it's, it's been a, an unbelievable successful uh, opportunity for us in terms of, of going out and working with business and industry and getting large donations. That's been really, really cool. But the real cool part of it is now students who are parts of programs that are premier programs across the state, region, and nation are now combined together under one roof where, you know, they can work together and, and really simulate uh, situations that are real world. And now we have premier programs and premier facilities. And this, you know, this is just the beginning. We're renovating a big space for our nursing program now. It's going to bring it state of the art. We'll have a, a human simulations lab that'll be second to none. And that we'll be able to do training with business and industry across town with uh, human simulation. And I mean, it's, it's the beginning, I think, of a movement where we're seeing that, you know, the world is suddenly saying, what's the biggest bang for my buck in higher ed? And they're seeing that career and technical education is just that. You know, in a short amount of time, you can get a great education and go out and do phenomenal things, make great money, uh, be at the, at the cutting edge of technology. And uh, so with, with that limelight placed upon us and these opportunities for great new facilities, I think the College of Technology has nothing but really great opportunities in the future. Yeah, absolutely. It seems that it, as, as I try to look back over the things you've talked about here in this past half hour, every time you had a challenge or something, there was some opportunity there that, you know, has, has come out and been realized as something really neat. Um, and and may, maybe if you could take a minute, I mean, what do you, what do you see as, as future challenges ahead? Because if, if that is true, if challenge provides opportunity, 
what challenges are, are you seeing as, as you think about leaving uh, this fantastic institution that you've built? You know, what challenges are ahead for that college and university family that, that's, you know, following behind you? Well, they're, they're probably going to get a new leader that's going to be way more amazing than I've been. So I think it's, you know, it's a very bright, uh, bright future. But um, higher ed in general, including the College of Technology, is facing a situation where uh, up-and-coming students now are realizing that they can get a great education online. Uh, I mean, think about the education you can get just from YouTube or podcasts uh, you know, the, the opportunities are out there. So we have to be able to offer something, I think, that adds value to what they can just get online. And I think College of Technology is perfectly placed to be able to do that because what they get when they come here is not just the theoretical stuff that you can get online or out of a textbook, but they're getting someone standing in front of them who's been in industry who understands it, who has great stories to tell, who can teach them tricks, who can motivate them about the exciting things that are happening. And, uh, you know, I think that's really the, the big ticket item that sells the College of Tech. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, we're going to be wrapping things up here, but, you know, I, I don't think I'd be true to this unless I said it. Do you have any last words? Remember what we talked about when I, when I posed, would you like to do this? This is a podcast that's that's going to be audio as well as, well as video. And it's going to go out there. So there can be, there will likely be people from the university looking at this. There may be business students looking at this, but there'll be others who are looking for what can I do and where can I go? Or maybe some experts in the field going, I'm not sure what a next good step. I mean, do you have any last words for anybody who's thinking about a future, whether that's with uh, a college of technology or a career tech kind of a career? What would you like to leave as? This is something uh, from you for them, some last words. You might want to think about this as a possibility. This, this last, last bit's for you. Let me end with two things, um, and, and let me just say, too, that I really appreciate this opportunity, and it's been a pleasure for me to work with you three over the, over the years. We've had some great times and some great successes, and we've got a continuing education workforce training program second to none. I, I really believe that. So you guys have done great things. But I want to say I want to say one thing about the university. We have a new president, relatively new. We have uh, most of the deans are are relatively new within the past year or two. And I have to say that the current the current leadership at Idaho State University the the deans have been amazing to work with. They're phenomenal people, and I, I really see bright opportunities ahead for Idaho State University. For a person who may be thinking about what they want to do or how to how to get good education, I think I would encourage them to ask themselves a couple of questions. You know, one is, what is it that I really love to do, and what is it that I can make some great money at? You know, am, am I gonna 
am I going to spend my educational dollar and, and not have a job when I graduate? Um, I really love it when, when I get a chance to talk to prospective students and they say, well, you know, am I going to get a job when I graduate from this electronics program or this nursing program or this whatever? Um, and I can say, well, let me just show you the past 20 years, you know, 97% placement rate. How do you beat that? Secondly, how much money are you going to invest in this? Well, I'm going to invest only a couple of years worth of tuition as compared with a lot more if you go for a baccalaureate degree. So you can graduate with a lot less debt, if any. You can go to work for a, for a high-tech, high-wage company, and then they'll pay you to continue your education. They'll pay you to come back and get your bachelor's degree or your master's degree or your PhD. Uh, so, you know, bang for the buck, especially for parents as they look at sending their kids to get higher education. How do you beat that? And if you're a, if you're a student who loves hands-on learning, who loves to, you know, to, to learn by doing, you're going to spend three hours a day, five days a week for two years in the laboratory doing just what you're going to do when you graduate. How exciting is that? So I, you know, I could talk for another two hours about the excitement of CTE. There's no doubt about it, but uh, <laughs> those would be my parting words, I guess. And those are great words. Thank you very much, Scott. Hey, I want to say thank you to, uh, to our Dean, Scott Rasmussen, who's been a, just a fabulous gentleman, taking the time to talk with us today. This is a, uh, it's a remarkable story of, uh, of growth and success and leadership. And um, his work has impacted uh, a lot of people, from, uh, from students who've come years ago in the classroom to, to those who've molded while he was a chair, and, and then those who've, who've been uh, beneficiaries of the work he's done in STEC and in the AIMS and, and the programs that have come underneath him. So um, he spurred success, obvious evidentiary success that you can go touch, but that success, everybody, uh, we all know that that goes generations. It gets passed on. You know, students become teachers and they pass on those lessons they've learned. People who develop, uh, you know, donations and relationships, they parlay those into into other successes that put that put uh, food on the table for families who need it and they create uh, tremendous careers. So he's a man of um, tremendous persistence. I think you've seen that uh, tremendous character and um He's been instrumental in the growth of not only the College of Technology, but the growth of, of this very fine university. So thank you, um, Scott, for joining us. I hope our audience has uh, learned a little bit more about this. And if you have any questions, uh, check us out at uh, ctrain.isu.edu. Uh, we have... Um, a lot of uh, a lot of things that you can check into with blogs and newsletters. If you have some questions, let us know. If you'd like us to do something, tell us. So, whatever you like, we want to see more of that. Thanks again, Scott, and thank you to the audience for joining us at Sweet Talk. Right on. Thank you, thank you, Scott. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you. Mm-hmm.